right, guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you are tuning in and listening to the Midlife Mail podcast. I am Greg Scheinman, your host. Thank you so much for joining us this week and every week as we keep the Midlife Mail movement growing. The mission here, help men maximize middle age. We talk about family, we talk about fitness, we talk about finance, we talk about food and nutrition, we talk about fashion and style, and equally as important, maybe even more important, we talk about fun, how to transform and how to break down the stereotype that midlife is dull or a crisis. And instead, flip it, that the middle is the sweet spot. This is that time of your life where you know more, you've experienced more success, failure. And this next phase should be the best phase of your life. So if you are challenged by any of these things, these topics uh, or situations in, in your life, It is never too late to improve, to make strides, to make changes, to reshuffle the deck, the priorities, the life experiences, because we got a lot more ahead of us than we do behind us. And if you are already out there and you are crushing it, good for you. Pay it forward. Help people. Continue to offer advice, continue to offer assistance, help, lead by example. We need one another. Nobody can do it alone. I want to talk to you about a couple of brands that I am a big fan of um, and that I use every day. Athletic Greens. This is my daily nutritional insurance policy. It's very simple. I take this powder. I put it in my morning 20 ounces of water. And that is the greens supplement that I take. I've been taking it for years, got introduced to them when I started doing the D10 decathlon, and I've been taking it ever since. It is reliable. They continue to improve the product. It makes me feel good. And it works for me. And I believe it'll work for you too. Give it a shot. That is athleticgreens.com forward slash midlife mail. Also, my skin, my puffy eyes, got to take care of that stuff. My boys, 17 and 14, also got to take care of their skin, their hair, their body. And we use Huron. Use Huron.com promo code MLM20. I'm a big fan of this company. I'm an investor in full disclosure, and we use Huron in our house. It's in every one of our bathrooms, the face wash, the eye stick for me, the body wash, the shampoo, the conditioner, the face wash for my boys. It's great. Smells terrific too. If I am training, I am wearing 10,000 gear. Promo code MIDLIFEMAIL20 on your orders. Go check these guys out. They make the best training shorts in the game. I have also become a big fan 
of their hoodies. They've really upped their game with their shirts when I wear one. And go check them out. All right. 10,000 gear. Promo code again, Midlife Mail 20. And lastly, CBD, big part of my life. Um, helps me to sleep, decrease anxiety, uh, rest, relax, restore, recover. And I have found uh, Verb, VRBlabs.com. Great brand. I really like the guys behind this. Wharton Business School graduates, military guys on the come up. They are really doing something unique and special. It is a crowded playing field out there in CBD. So quality is paramount. You got to know what you're taking, where it comes from, what's in it. I really dig their rest product. I take it before I go to sleep at night and it has really helped me with those, uh, the wake-ups, you know, the middle of the night wake-ups, reduce those significantly and I'm getting really good deeper sleep. So check out VRB Labs. I do not have a promo code for you or anything uh, at this point. I've just started taking it um, and really like it. And pretty much like everything I talk about, I start out as a consumer. I aggregate, I take things in, I try them out, I buy them with my own money. I try to determine whether or not it works for me, whether it's something I need, whether it is worth the costs, all of those things, and then try to pass that information on to you and also try to get to know the people behind these brands, their purpose, their process, ultimately their payoff. Because it's really, again, it's really crowded out there and it is hard to figure out and decipher what to do, what to take, where to go, what to wear. Everybody's got a message. Everybody's got a platform. And I'm trying to figure it out as well. And then I'm trying to pass it along to you guys. So thank you for that. Super excited today. Hang on, I got to take a sip of my, of my strong coffee. Another great brand out there. I'm doing this in the morning right now. So I'm a little tired. Got to caffeinate. I always hydrate before I caffeinate though. My athletic greens in my water, my ECAAs, my creatine. Hydrate before you caffeinate. Now back to business. All right. I have got Jonathan Catherman on the show today. Who is Jonathan Catherman? Jonathan Catherman is the author of multiple books, including the highly anticipated release of Guiding the Next Great Generation and Becoming the Next Great Generation. He is the founder and director of the One Million Mentoring Foundation, or 1M Mentoring Foundation. Jonathan is dedicated to providing life skills and character mentoring resources to 1 million young people around the world. He has best-selling books that include The Manual to Manhood. We're going to talk a lot about that in a minute, The Manual to Middle School. And he is pleased to have also co-authored three number one new release titles with his sons, Reed and Cole, along with his wife, Erica. 
He regularly speaks to youth and adult audiences on the significance of practicing stewardship before leadership and the importance of building confidence and capabilities. So for parents like myself of two teenage boys, I want to hear from somebody like Jonathan. He's based in a little town outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And you can find more information on him at thecathermans.com. We're going to get into all of this, particularly the manual to manhood. Because what happened was my wife, Kate, ordered this book and the manual to manhood for my son And I started to look at this book and I don't know how to do half of the stuff in here also. Um, As a guy who who lost his father early, so many of these things in here, I was not taught how to cook the perfect steak, change a tire, impress a girl, 97 other skills you need to survive. So this is not just a book uh, for kids. This is also a book for midlife men who don't know how to do some of this shit and, and should. So... We are going to get into this uh, with Jonathan Catherman on the Midlife Mail podcast. Here we go, guys. How many boys do you have? So I have two boys, Auden and Harper. They are 17 and 14 now. Wow. Yeah, right. So this, as I hold this up, just <laughs> recently showed up at our house, okay? which was the re- one of the reasons and the impetus that I, that I reached out to you was my wife ordered your book. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. usually how it goes. Moms and grandmas are like the number one purchasing demographic. I, I do not doubt it because even as I do a show called The Midlife Male and trying to help men, the primary response I get is typically from women who actually want their men to, to be better you know, or avoid the midlife crisis or get out of the midlife crisis or what should they be doing in there. And men are a little different as far as trying to reach them. You know, and how or, or vulnerability and accountability and asking for help, you know, there. So again, the wonderful wife orders this book. It shows up. Um, and it's been in my room, quite frankly, since it- <laughs> <laughs> Well, 14 and 17, your boys aren't gonna get caught dead reading it, but they'll they'll definitely get in there. So Yeah. I mean, and as we jump right into this, I mean I've got two Almost, you know, the dichotomy of the situations and looking at the book, um, you know, one, I lost my father when I was 17 years old. So he passed away and I've got two younger brothers. And so my brothers were 15 and eight at the time. Hmm. And it resonated with me a lot because much of what you write about in this manual, you know, these are things that again, ideally, if you have a mentor, a father, a father figure around, they teach you these things a lot of, or maybe they should. Maybe or life skills, character traits, things that make a man confident and capable. Absolutely. And you know, I feel like I missed out on a lot of that. I know my youngest brother missed out on a lot of that. Everything, how to tie, I remember I didn't know how to tie a tie. You know, or or how to play poker when I got you know to to the fraternity in college. You know, things things like that. So it really it really connected to me, and it's also made me think of: Am I actually teaching these skills? Am I being responsible enough, also um, as a father, and doing my job? So I'd love to know the impetus of of, of the book. We'll work back into everything because um, it's just so on point and it's so valuable. Hmm. 
Well, okay. So the impetus of the book came from, um, I was in South Texas on a business trip and got in a horrific car accident on the freeway of which in the middle of the crushing of metal and breaking of glass and me, you know, consuming an airbag in my face, I thought I'm going to die. And who's going to raise my sons? There was no question that my wife, Erica, is an amazing mom and would do a phenomenal job of teaching them the things they need to know. But at that moment, I felt cheated out of being a dad and passing on what I believed were the things I needed to share with my boys. And uh, But I walked away from this car accident with a giant bruised tip and a total rental car. And about an hour later, I'm sitting in my hotel room you know, with the shakes. And uh, I picked up my computer and I started writing uh, a file, created a file for my sons titled, If Anything Ever Happens to Me. And in that file, were, I just started adding instructions to life and people I'd like them to meet and life lessons I had experienced but hadn't shared with them yet. And um, one of the things I believe is that everybody needs a good mentor. So I went to my mentor and said to him, look, if anything ever happens to me, can you please pass on what you've shared with me? Will you please take on that responsibility and share with my sons? And he literally was like, what are you talking about, man? And I, I began to say, well, I've created this file for my boys. He goes, I'd like to see this file. So I gave him access to it online. And, and he came back a couple of days later and said, hey, Jonathan, I just don't think this is, um, this is a file for your boys. And I thought I'd missed the mark somehow. And I really respected this man, this man's approach and his opinion, and how he, how he instructed me. And I'm like, oh, what, wow, what did I do wrong? He goes, well, I haven't done anything wrong. You're thinking too small. This isn't a file for your boys. There's a kid down the street for me that needs this file. He needs to learn what you're teaching your sons in this. I have a grandson that needs to learn this. There are boys everywhere that uh, have uh, gaps in their life, but they aren't being taught skills and character traits they need to succeed. This isn't a file for your boys. This is a book. So I was like, I don't know about that, but it took me about a minute and then talking to my wife. And so off we launched and, uh, you know, people believing in the value of, of, you know, how do you, how do you transform boys into men? You know, how do you create confident, capable young men in the making? And it's not done on accident and it can't be done passively. So we created the book and illustrated it in a way we thought guys would enjoy. And it took off far. I thought I'd sell two copies, total two copies. I, I wanted to walk into the bookstore, buy my own copy of a book. And I knew my mom would buy one. Cause you know, moms do that. <laughs> and, uh, and now it's translated into, I don't even know how many languages around the world. And it's, it's been a whole life changer. Now, were you a writer, author at the time that you decided to write this particular book? Was that your career at the time or was this a bit of a shift also? Well, both one, it wasn't my career. And two, my editors would say I definitely wasn't a writer. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I was doing character and leadership development in youth at the time. And, and I was working for Franklin Covey Education in their Leader Me initiative and traveling around the, the nation and, and internationally on helping uh, young people discover and become their greatest potential as leaders. So it was a natural fit, though, when I decided to write this content, because as a sociologist, my expertise is in generational norms and understanding the context between um, you know, older generation, my generation, younger generation, what's happened in the shifts over time uh, for the norms of, of, of culture, not necessarily between in the context of being a, a man, but just what's going on between the generations. So when I wrote this book, I was trying to pass something from my generation on to 
the next with the intent that they could take everything that you and I have learned, like your sons and my sons, and one day be better than us. Isn't that the aspiration of every parent is they want their kids to grow up to be better than them. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was kind of the, the intent there. And, and then, yeah, it's still odd to say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a professional author. You know, it's a weird, weird thing to say. I, it just when they, you know, those words falling out of my face feel odd. Mm. What's your process when it comes to writing? I mean, I see even a typewriter, you know, in the background and I want to ask you about the books in the background. I know we're just recording audio now. Um, but I'm fascinated by the writing, by the writing process. Are you a, a sit down and write on a pad guy? Are you, are you a type it? Are you making audio notes, you know, all day long, you know, for this? Yeah. Everybody's got a different process. This is a great question. And I love it when people ask me, cause I think they're looking for what's the secret sauce to writing a book. And, and the answer I think is as I had to discover just what is my style and, and, and other people's instructions can simply be options and you got to figure out what works for you. So for what works for me is usually I'm best, um, in the morning. So I get up with my, my sons and make my wife coffee and I help my boys get some breakfast in their mouths and off to school. And then, then I'm upstairs, you know, pounding keys and there's a lot of research that goes on. So what you can't see behind me is a big whiteboard that is often covered in sticky notes. Yeah. You've got one. I see it behind you too. Uh, I've got a door over here that's got file folders hanging on it that, uh, that research goes in and, uh, and so the process for me is, is like putting together a jigsaw puzzle because of so much of my work is relatively technical. Um, you know, I'm not writing a, a story of fantasy. I'm writing something that, that people need to follow a steps to, or um, in the context of like my most recent work, you know, I'm, I'm laying out models that parents will need to, to, it needs to work for these parents if they're going to be, you know, raising their kids ready. So it's a lot of putting the pieces together. So I've got this part over here I know works and this part over here I know works and I've got these file folders and these sticky notes and and then you have to craft it in a way that people enjoy and want to read. So mm. I'm good till about two in the afternoon and then my brain's pretty fried. And so that's when I just do other business. So. I was going to, I had listened to an episode of, um, of an, of a podcast that Jerry Seinfeld was on too. And he was talking about his, his process about, you know, about how difficult it is to sit down and actually write, you know, and you can't in a way for him is like say, I can't sit down and you certainly can't write all day. You can't crank out an act, you know, in one day or a, or a book or even a chapter, but just the discipline of being able to say, okay, I am going to sit down for one hour a day or, or something that is manageable. Mm -hmm in there and do it. Whether it's, again, I'm, I'm exercising, I'm meditating, I'm writing. If you can break it down into, to be easy, or some days I go longer. I never go shorter. You know? Some days I feel, but- Measurable, measurable goals. Mm-hmm. So I have a goal every day to write a thousand words. And someday I'm 1700 words. And other days I'm 500. But I know what my word count is and I've got to keep it at an average of a thousand words. Because usually that means- I'm going to trim on the next day when I come back and review what I worked on previous, I'm going to trim say 200 words anyway. So in, in, uh, in total, that's only 800 words for the count of, of what, what sticks with the manuscript. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta come up with a way that you know, you're making progress and you can measure it and, and then celebrate advancements. 
So like I'll walk out of my office and say, I did 1500 words and literally my family will clap or say, congratulations, dad, way to go. My son will stop by and go, Hey, well, what's the word count today, dad? And I'm like, I'm only at 700. He's like, you got this man. Don't worry. You know, so <laughs> everybody knows that, that there is a process that works for me. And, and there's little things besides like word counts and sticky notes and checklists and stuff like that. Like I'm sitting in a chair right now. And every time I start a new book, I buy a new chair and it's just this tradition I have usually because I've worn the chair out by the time I'm, I'm, I'm done with the book because I was buying like these, you know, $125 chairs and stuff like that. Well, the, the, when I wrote, um, guiding the next great generation and becoming the next great generation, which were released last year, mm-hmm. when I started that book, which would have been a year before I went and bought this just great chair and I'm still in it. So, I mean, I don't need a new chair and I'm not going to go spend that kind of money on a chair again. So I had to do something different. So you mentioned the typewriter before, um, earlier. And, and so this, this book, um, I'm working on, which is, um, raising them ready. I wrote about a typewriter and I, I don't use it. It works, but it just <laughs> looks cool. And so, you know, I try to, I try to create these, these things that are, I want to call them inspirational, but they're, um, they're, they're like cornerstones for me. I can, I can, I can mark from them. Like I'm getting a new chair because I finished the book. Or I bought something cool to add to my office because I it, it, it kind of speaks to me and, and what I'm doing because I'm starting a new book. What are these measures so that when I get those thousand word counts up to 55,000 words and you're turning a manuscript in, then you say, hey, and you lean back in that chair or you, you, know, you, you come over and um, punch out the end on the actual typewriter. You know, it's just, it's kind of fun. Yeah, I, I, I identify with that notion of, kind of rewarding yourself, you know, or motivating and inspiring yourself. And as you said, there's the culmination of a project. Okay, great. I've, I've earned something. This is, and then I'm starting something and here's what gives me confidence, you know, uh, or something to look at and go, yeah, this is the, the beginning of that, whether it's It's a a physical, it's a marker, you know, object. And when I tend to talk a lot about, you know, when I broke it down into, you know, the six F's, if you will, for for me that I can wrap my head around, you know, there's, there's family, you know, first and there's, and there's fitness, you know, have to have your health and obviously finance plays a role and you know, can we afford to do the things we, we want to do, you know, food. And then for me, some of what you're talking about falls into kind of that fashion and style. Like I'm a junkie for some of, some of that stuff. Like what do I feel confident wearing? You know, what do I, what helps me make my workouts, you know, better because I'm in this or wearing that or, um, I want that bike again because I completed, you know, this task or we got an account or something or whatever's happening in life. There's kind of this, you know, these little trigger, these little things you need, you know, to kind of help you again, I think, get to get to the next level. And I feel like now more than ever, it's more important because we've been so isolated in a lot of ways. You know, like community is different and, and we're home a lot more. So it's like, okay, now I'll look at my wall and be like that guitar. And I know exactly when I got that guitar and what, what account that guitar was associated with because it was a reward for something. Um, I think sometimes people just, maybe they, they, they sacrifice like that kind of stuff or the importance of it. You know, that I am an experience over things person, but things that provide great experiences have some value. They're, They're reminders. They're part of your story. You know, throughout my office, there's not a space we sit in here that you don't look at something that's a reminder of the story of my life or my, my family's life or a trip or something like that. 
that that is a marker and and it it, it gives you these i think it helps you frame up reference and some of them are aspirational you know like like uh you know i've got a i've got a, a toy car that is the aspiration of the truck i want to get in the in the future and it's you know it's like you said it's not about things but th- it, that's fun. And, and I believe you have to, if you're going to treat others as you would like to be treated, then you got to treat yourself right. And it, it doesn't mean you spoil yourself and you're selfish. It does mean though, you have to be kind to yourself because if you're not kind to yourself, it makes it very difficult to be kind to others. You know, and I, and I come back to, to you know, manual to manhood and the middle school books we wrote and the work I did with my wife on, on the girls books and, and the new content of writing for parents so much is it about how do we build our confidence and capabilities and, and in turn share that with our kids so they grow up to, to be the kind of people that are contributors and not takers, that are good stewards, um, that, that people would like to, to follow in a way that doesn't just lead anywhere, but leads somewhere specific. So even like you were saying, like the guitar on the wall, I have one on my wall over here too. You know, I know there's a story related to that, but the interesting thing about that story is it's tied back into confidence and capabilities. And so when you say, you know, I, I landed a new account, that's confidence and capabilities. And I, and I got a guitar. Every time you pick up that guitar, you're thinking about what it took to land that account and how proud of yourself you were and you were kind to yourself. Now, if you reserve that, I believe that if we reserve these things only for ourselves, then then we are um, we're not being good stewards of our children. We're not being good stewards of the people we work with or our neighbors. So I think as much as we're kind to ourselves and get a guitar that's hanging on the wall, you also have to make contributions to others so that they see their worth and potential as well. Mm-hmm. The stewardship before leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Practice stewardship it, before leadership, 100%. And, and you've, you talk about that you know, all the time. Can you maybe dive into that a little bit a little bit deeper because that that principle just again um it's a powerful powerful statement and i feel like you put stewardship before leadership and it's one of the ultimate leadership qualities you know though being able to do it so one thing i think that um we as as adults are constantly looking to do is be a leader right we want to be a leader in our in our industry in our work we want to be a leader in our home we want to be a leader in our community, not everybody aspires for that. Um, but, but a lot of us who are, you know, we kind of lean forward and we look to be a leader. And we, then we communicate that to kids. We're telling kids, Hey man, you know, on the sports team, you gotta be a leader or at school, you know, you go be a leader. But we, what does that really mean? Because Greg, if, if you put me in a position, you say, Jonathan, you're the leader today. That doesn't necessarily mean I know what I'm doing. That just means I'm the person in charge and, and everybody listening right now has worked for a leader that doesn't have a clue what they're doing or is not leaning into other people who are as good as, if not better than them and temporarily can, can those resources could be put to bear. So when I talk about practice stewardship before leadership, I honestly believe we should lean less on the value of leadership, 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 and be communicating to ourselves and to our kids and to, you know, our athletes and to our students and, is you know be a good steward because stewardship is responsible management, supervision, and protection of what's been entrusted to your care. And if you can't steward something, then you have no business leading others. 
So if you're not a responsible manager, supervisor, and if you cannot uh, keep things safe around you in, in the, that's put into your care, um, then, then why would I trust you to show me how to, mm. you know, and, and so practice stewardship before leadership manual to manhood is all about stewardship. All the little life skills that, that are taught in the manual to manhood and the girl's guide to conquering life and the middle school books is all about building up personal stewardship, responsible management, supervision, and protection of what's been trusted to your care. And then when somebody comes to you and says, how did you do that? Greg, how did you do this, man? Now you have a choice because I'm if, if I come to you, Greg, and I ask you, will you show me how to start a business? Will you show me how to to market? Will you show me how to if whatever it is I, I see you doing well, you stewarding well? I've just invited you into a leadership position temporarily. Will you please show me? And, and when you do and you say, Jonathan, yeah, OK, man, I'm going to mentor you in this. Well, a year goes by and, and I'm, you're, you're like, Jonathan, I taught you everything I know. I'm like, great. And you say, you know what? You're probably going to crush this, man. Go get them. Well, you're not leading me anymore, right? You, you practice leadership for a period of time, but you never gave up your stewardship. Now you're expecting me to practice stewardship. And one day someone will come to me and say, Jonathan, how'd you do that? So when my mentor Greg showed me, let me show you. Now I'm a leader. Mm. But it takes stewardship before leadership. We don't talk enough about stewardship. Are we missing this in school? I mean- like the manual to manhood itself, you know, the books you've written for both, you know, young men and young women, um, the work you've done with your wife, stewardship before, before leadership. Are we missing like this is uh, like in the educational system? Like what's your take on what we're actually teaching kids in, in school versus what they really should be learning in a way and how far off or maybe we are? I think that what educators are required to do today academically is just uh, it blows my mind, the pressure that they're under. And not only are they, they committed to academic excellence in their students, now they're also working on like culture wars almost in the context of, of what does it mean to be respectful and what does it mean to collaborate and what does it mean to, you know, there, there's some amazing students out there and there are some amazing educators out there. And, and are we missing the mark when it comes to, to teaching them stewardship? Um, we don't use that language much. So I can't say we're missing the mark um, because it's not even on the target. So I don't want to say that, that uh, but what, excuse me, what, what we are teaching in education is leadership. And so there are countless schools that are working on the theme of developing young leaders. But again, it's like, before we can develop elementary, middle school, high school, and college leaders, we need to develop them as stewards. So if, if the um, culture in education were to focus on stewardship, literally that, not that language and that manage this yourself, and then we will look to you to help manage others, then I think we would see a, a change in the leaders that are coming out of education. But I don't want to leave it at education. Same thing is happening in our communities. Same thing is happening in our uh, places of worship. Same things are happening even in our homes. Because we want, we keep pushing leaders, but we're not managing stewards well. So I don't want to put the blame, and I don't think the blame does rest on education. I think it needs to be a systemic shift for us in our culture that stewardship gets the the focus before leadership. Mm-hmm. Do you feel additional pressure as a husband and as a father? 
Mm -hmm. Because of the topics you write about and what you've taken on and your personal brand, like really as writer, an author, advisor, expert, you know, if you will, of these times, do you feel an additional pressure to be like the perfect dad or have the things go well at home or, oh, like, you know, yeah, no you know way. I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I can, no, you can't take, I can't bear, I can't bear that burden. Um, no, just be real. I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to be a good steward and, um, but be real and relevant. Uh, I, I, one thing that I would, that would crush my heart, I think is my boys to say you did for others, but you didn't do for us. And, um, and so my focal point is how do I share with my boys, but I can't force my boys. My boys are over age. Yeah. They're, they're 17 and 20 where we're loosening our grip and um, they're taking on the responsibilities of, of handling and managing their lives on their own. We've got to let them practice that. And so I would, I would feel pressure if I had expectations of perfection for others, because, you know, when you write a book, this is how you do it. Step one, two, three, you do it that way, right? If I lay out a model and you follow the model, it should work over and over again. I mean, it's, it's this part of statistics or that's part of science. It's, that's how it works. Well, you're dealing with people and it never works that way. And, but I also know that what we are teaching others, we are teaching our sons and, and then they will manage that. Uh, our goal as parents for it, my wife and I is to raise our sons who are ready. So when life demands of them, and, and everybody faces countless demands in a day, you know, things that are pressing in on them that you can't, you can't really get around. You got to take care of it. Um, but if you're, if you're willing to face the demand and able to face the demand, then that demand is a challenge and our brains love challenges. You know, you're into fitness, you're constantly challenging yourself, right? Your brain is loving that you're, you're increasing strength or endurance and, and you see it as a challenge. Like if I said to you right now, let's go do a 5k. Like let's, let's run a 5k. And I'm thinking in two weeks, you probably say yes, right? It's a great cause. I'm doing a fundraiser. Let's do a 5k. You'd say, yeah, man, let's do this. Mm -hmm. But if I said to somebody else, um, who's not an athlete, who doesn't train, who's not eating right, who's not getting enough sleep, who's stressed out. I said, I want to do a 5k with you in five in, in a week. They go, what you No, man, you'll go kill me. Yeah. I'll die. Yeah. Because they're not prepared because they, they, even if they're willing, but they're not able. Or maybe they're able, but they're not willing. So, so our goal as parents is to raise boys who are willing and able so they see life as a challenge versus unwilling and unable, which means your brain interprets that, that demand as a threat. And our brains hate threats. That's where we go to fight or flight. So, so um, do I feel pressure? Um, yes, but not in a bad way. Because I feel what, you're, what I interpret what you're asking me is, do I feel like there's a demand to do you know, this for my family. And I say, absolutely. But I'm willing to take on that challenge because I'm willing to enable. And, and then my, my intention is to pass on to my boys, the mindset, skill set, and tool set that they can be willing and able also. Mm -hmm. So when they're no longer beside me, they can still handle life. Do they write, are they interested in what you are interested in also? I mean, as you talk, how much, lead by example, you mentioned, you know, not forcing or not pressuring, you know, even your boys, um, you know, and I, I feel this a lot 
as well. You know, you could be perceived a certain way. I mean, obviously, and you are a certain way. As I said, I like to, I like to challenge myself physically. Those things help me, but I don't want to pressure and force my boys into training, you know, with me. And another friend reached out the other day and his boys are much younger and it was about sports. You know, do I put my boys in sports? How do I choose? How can they even choose? They're too young to choose. How many sports, by the way, we're, you know, we're, Outdoors people, we're hunting and fishing and, and in nature all the time. Is that enough, you know, overall too? You know, a dad who wants to do quote unquote the right thing, okay, um, and the right way, but is, you know, unsure. Is it the fact that they just ask you about the word count every day and they know you do it? Like, is that enough? And if they naturally gravitate towards writing, you will embrace that more. But if, you know, you know where I'm going with this. Absolutely, that's a great, great question. Um, so, the two part answer. Um, one is yes, my sons have written sort of. They're not writers, but I did co-author a book where they contributed called "The Manual to Middle School," and it was a great, great uh, uh, work because we're sitting at our, our dining room table or our kitchen table every night um, for dinner, and my moving from fifth grade to sixth grade son was asking my moving from eighth grade to ninth grade son all about middle school. And so for night after night, it was questions about lockers and questions about lunch line and questions about homework and questions about bullies and bus riding. And, and I looked at my sons, I go, Hey guys, I think we got another book here. So, you know, they contributed, they're young, you know, they were, they're just out of elementary and just out of middle school, but they were contributors to the manual to middle school. And it's a phenomenal resource for boys moving from fifth grade or sixth grade into the middle school environment. And then we, we retooled that for girls guide to conquering middle school. So yes, they've written, but are they writers? No, that's not their interest. And and this is something that as a parent, we, we purposely um, decided on a long time ago is that we weren't going to push our boys to pursue mom and dad's interest. We were going to discover their interests and pursue that pursue them because they're unique persons. They're not little mini me's. They are their unique individual person. So what we did, and, and we write about this in guiding the next great generation and becoming the next great generation. So guiding is written for adults and becoming is written for, for young people like 12 and older. We talk about um, transform raw talent into valued strengths. So when I write about um, uh, transforming raw talents into valued strengths, you say, what is it that your child loves to do? You know, the reoccurring pattern of thought, feeling, and behavior that can be positively applied. That would be a talent. We misuse the word talent. We say that, that man, my son is such a talented baseball player. Or, or wow, my daughter is, is such a talented uh, swimmer. Or, you know what? There is no such thing as a talented baseball player. And there's no such thing as a talented swimmer. No one's a talented piano player. No one's a talented um, computer programmer. Um, that's their strength. The talent would be, so let's use um, you know, baseball and swimming, is athletic. My son, my daughter is a talented athlete. They are naturally inclined to be athletic. Uh, I have a son who's six foot four, and he just looks the part of an athlete. And he is naturally athletically uh, inclined. But his real passion interest is, is computers. Right? I don't, I, I, I don't know which end is up on a computer half the time. I feel like they laugh at me all the time and I'm okay with that because it's not my strength. So my son is a good athlete, but we haven't pushed him in athletics. And my, and my older son also a great athlete, 
but he's more interested in politics. So their talents, then you, you train to that talent. So talent, training, timing, treasure, that produces a strength. So talent is the way you think, feel, and behave naturally. Training is obviously, you know, you go get expert advice and, and uh, you, you, you look at policies, procedures, and ways you can do something better, uh, whether it's a notes on a new musical instrument or, um, you know, your, how your body works in athletics. Um, and then um, tr- uh, talent training timing is you got to commit the time, practice and patience, right? And, and, and as parents, I think we have to communicate that to our kids to, to, to you got to practice over and over and over again and be patient. You'll get better, you'll get better, you'll get better. And the last one is treasure. And you got to be a good steward of your treasures because you and I both know people who are exceptional in their field, but have squandered their treasures in their life. And so are no longer have a voice in that, in that space. Maybe that's finances or it's relationships or it's a reputation, but they have squandered a treasure and because of it, they don't have access to their strength like they did before. So, so that's my goal is to, to transform my own talents into strengths. My goal for my children is to help them do that. And their, their strengths should be very different than mine. Theirs are not writing. You know, I, I, I know enough about politics to vote. My son knows enough about politics to help write and create uh, you know, policies. Yeah. I love, I love that point about, you know, encouraging those strengths and, and continuing to nurture those and train them. And I do also think that there's, there's a great point in there about being athletic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not necessarily also having to be an athlete, you know, or hard or, you know, or hardcore just because you are athletic or you look the part or whatever. Um, you know, I, I tend to focus a little bit more, try to talk about, you know, developing healthy habits, encouraging and nurturing healthy habits, because being athletic, being healthy is going to help you in anything and everything else that you are interested in. Whether you do want to be a writer or whether you do want to be in politics or on the campaign trail or, or wherever you are, um, you know, developing healthy habits and continuing those uh, is, gonna, is going to help you, whereas the reality is the hard pressure, early sports specialization athlete, if you will, you're going to burn out probably, you know, or really not, not maybe make it to that next level. Just seeing a lot of those kids not playing middle school ball anymore, or certainly not playing high school ball, or they're not, you know, the next Derek Jeter. Like that, that stuff is hard, you know, out there. It's very hard. And then they look at exercise or they look at athletics or they look at health um, or some of those things as being not fun, you know, or a punishment in a way, if you were made to run or do things you know, when you weren't performing and then that mindset sticks with you in your twenties and your thirties. And that's where we have you know, these out of shape, less than motivated, you know, not want because they associate it as a negative. I think that, that if we are, I occur, excuse me, let's, I believe that healthy habits, body, mind, heart, and spirit makes a whole person. So I agree with you that, that you should be physically healthy because you're, you're the, the vessel my, my brain walks around in is my body, right? And, and it needs to function at its greatest capacity for my brain to also be working on, on its firing all cylinders. Now, my wife is a fitness instructor. I am not. And, um, and I joked about running a, a, a you know, a 5K, and, and that doesn't look appealing to me at all, right? But I am conscious of what I eat, 
and what I drink and my sleep patterns and taking care of my body the best I can. I abused it way too much when I was younger and it just, you know, creaks and aches all the time. But if I mismanage it, it affects what I'm thinking about and it affects my moods and it affects my emotions. So I agree. You got to take care of the body. You got to take care of your mind. What did you learn today? When we come out of a day and we just repeated yesterday to make someone else some money and we didn't learn anything, that was a missed opportunity today. Mm. So, so what did you learn today? Something new. And it, you don't even have to agree with it. See, that's the thing. I think that, that people have to get this through their mind. You can learn something and not agree with it, but you still learn something. Huge, because we seem to be hell-bent on, on uh, having lost the, the perspective or the ability to agree to disagree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because if you don't agree or you don't hear, now you can just flip the channel, you know, or turn to a different article. Now there's so much out there that you can always find somebody that agrees with you. There's less learning I think our appreciation for others' opinions and figuring out how to maybe meet in the middle or, or continue to disagree, but be still peaceful or supportive about it. Now it's, no, no, no. I can just go to any one of these hundred channels or any one of these hundred publications and I got plenty of people to agree with me. I never have to see you know, or listen to your perspective. Yeah. That, does, that doesn't work. So think about it like this. One of my favorite sayings is, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Now, when you think about the concept of iron sharpening iron, it is two opposing objects striking one another. There's a critical component here, because if you think about iron sharpening iron, two opposing objects, it's going to be loud, it's going to produce sparks, and there's going to be heat involved, right? But in the end, when the angle is right, we are better tooled for our design. You're sharper, I'm sharper. Even though we're coming at one another from opposite directions, we aren't trying to hurt each other. We are trying to sharpen one another. And there were sparks flew, heat was involved, and it was loud, right? But we are better tooled for our designs. Now you get the angle wrong, and iron on iron, sparks are going to fly, it's going to be loud, heat's going to be produced, but we end up dull and dented. Mm. And I think that's where, when we talk about it's okay to learn something new. It's okay to be around people who are different than you, have different opinions than you. But my approach isn't try to always to win them over to my way of thinking. Maybe my approach should be, I want to learn more about the way you're thinking. I want to learn more about the things that you're interested in. I'm secure in what I'm interested in. I'm okay with the way I think. And Greg, if you think different and, and, and than I do, I, you're, it doesn't mean I'm going to walk out of the conversation like, oh, now I got to change my mind. No, I can, we can, you and I can talk and completely disagree and have a wonderful conversation. Mm -hmm. Love that. You've written that the world needs confident and capable young men. How do you define confident and capable young men? And to your point that you just were, were, were talking about, we can have a great conversation and see things totally differently. Are there guys out there that are speaking writing that you're listening to, absorbing, putting in your files, you know, behind the doors, making sticky notes about that view confident and capable young men very differently, but staunchly feel that this is what makes a confident and capable, you know, young, young man. Um, You're approaching it in your way. And I'd love to hear that, but also how you maybe view and observe some other ways or or opinions of what's out there now today of, of confident and capable young men. So I believe that confident and capable 
is a com- combination of what we, we discussed a minute ago, that you've got to be willing and able. So if I'm willing, there's a level of confidence, right? And if I'm capable, that means I'm able to do something. But willing is a mindset. So so confidence would, would be a mindset as well. And, and I've met people who are very confident, but unable. They're certain they can do this, but when they pick up the hammer, it's nothing but, you know, it's, it's a bad idea because they don't, they don't have the ability yet, but ability is a combination of skill set and tool set. So there's a three part, three parts make up two. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. the willing is confidence. Able is, is capable and able is, is uh, mind or excuse me, skill set and tool set. So what I think people, when they, um, if you read some of the reviews on lines and, and some of the folks that, that I've had, you know, interviews with before and they, they pick up manual to manhood and they start railing on me because they think it's all about, you know, chest beating, beer drinking, masculinity that, that, you know, is, is, um, gender superior. And it's none of that. It is none of that. When I say confident and capable, I want to see young men in the making grow up willing and able to take on the challenges of life, the demands, excuse me, see them as challenges in life. And, and do that in a way that brings value to their life and the lives of others. Mm. Confidence and capable is not overpowering. Confidence and capable is not selfish. Confidence and capable is no, nothing about that is superiority. So when I read other people's work on, on manhood or masculinity, and it's a, it's a lot of, you know, we got to return to, we got to return to the campfire and, and, um, be men and, and, and take our, our role and, and direct. I'm like, no, that's not what masculinity is. That's not, that's not what manhood is. Um, because I don't think that, you know, it's interesting when we wrote manual to manhood, I was in some schools that were running mentoring programs and they were using manual to manhood for these girl mentoring programs. And, and at first that struck me as a little odd. And I really appreciated the educator that said, well, wait, you're not, if you just take the title away, the content's the same. It doesn't matter if it's for guys or if it's for girls, but the girls kind of did care. So, so my wife and I wrote girl's guide to conquering life. The content in the books are the same. Mm. It's the same. So maybe, you know, how to shave your face is a little different than how to shave your legs, but, but you still need to be confident and capable to do that. If that's the, the physical appearance you want to present. Sure. So manhood confidence and capable would be about, willing and able mindset, skill set, tool set. What advice would you give to men or dads that are struggling maybe with the with the time or the work-life balance, you know, to create capable and confident young men, you know, at home, or maybe you're not teaching the all the lessons that are in manual to manhood, or maybe got the book like I have in my house and I flip there and go, do I read this book first? so that I can then work with my son directly on this? Or again, is it, do we leave this book in his room you know, and, and, and hope, okay, that he picks it up and reads a chapter you know, or, or something there? Because one thing you mentioned that really hit home early on, and I'll fumble the, the manner in which you articulated it far, far better about that not, not wanting to give to others what you're not giving you know, to, to your own sons and you're spending so much time you know, there. I want to be able to interact. I want to be able to pass it on or pay it forward. And if there's something I don't know, maybe learn it. 
first and convey it, or or maybe we can learn it together, you know, or how do we do it? And I, and I'm I wrestle with that a lot, and I know a lot of men wrestle with that too because there's so much shit we're trying to balance, you know, and trying to find the time for. Mm-hmm. So I think that one of the important aspects of how do we raise up our boys is one, don't treat them like clients. You know, they're, they're not a project at work that has a beginning and end date and a budget assigned to it. And we don't have to woo them over, you know, special meals and, and, you know, turn them into a, a higher profit value that, that they are not clients. They're not projects. There are, there are children. And they're in a developmental stage as well, where their brains don't work like our brains. And I think it's real important as, as men that we go back in time and remember what it was like to be a fifth grader. Remember what it's like to be an eighth grader or junior in high school or, or, you know, moving out into your own apartment for the first time, because we tend to sit around and talk about the stories, right? We're like, yeah, man, remember that time when, you know, we won state football championship and we're, you know, we tell that story 15 times in a row and our wives all roll their eyes because they've heard it so many times or, or how we, you know, partied in college or, the, the crazy thing we did on that skateboard as a seventh grader, we have those stories that we love to repeat because they're, they're fun. Um, but we also need to remember that it's hard growing up. And today it's more difficult than it was when we were their age. Um, they're, they, have, they have demands placed on, our kids have demands placed on them today that we didn't even face and other demands that have changed versus when we were their age. So, so we got to press a pause on, on, um, on treating them like they're something that can be accomplished. They are our kids and this is a long-term relationship. We need to go, we need to be more fluid. And so, so we're in it for the long haul. So maybe, yeah, you do get manual demand hood book, right? And you're, you're, you're skimming through it and, uh, and you find a a thing on, um, you know, how to shoot pool. Right. And you're like, yeah, I'm really not that good. You know, most guys, yeah, I love playing pool. You put them in front of the pool table and they're like, yeah, I haven't played in like five years. I'm a little rusty. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but maybe, maybe yeah, you and your, your son need to go out and play some pool and you're learning together. You know, now you've just, if you can find a way to have that time together, that, that you're on equal ground and you're not just instructing them, do this, then do that. Um, but you're learning together. That's going to go, that's going to go light years. That's, that's volume work. That's the kind of stories they'll tell later on. My dad and I formed a relationship under the hood of a a 65 Mustang and he knew more about cars than I did, but we also learned a lot together as I, as I was a teenager, you know, and he's, he's my dad. And, and remember one time we were putting in a transmission and we didn't have the proper jack and we had a skateboard and a scissor jack and we're sliding this transmission in and neither one of us knew exactly what we're doing, but we were learning together. And there's no way to Google that one at the time, right? You know, there's no YouTube on how to, you know, how to, how to install a transmission in a 65 Mustang. We learned together and it was, it was formative in our relationship and we still work together and, and still learn things together. Um, I think that that's, that's a critical part about being a parent is just to be, be available and, and willing to learn with your kids. Is that the first step? Meaning like, if you don't know where to start, okay, I don't have this 
closeness or relationship now, or we're not doing these things, you know, together. And sometimes, and we're fearful too. I don't know how to approach, you know, my son. Okay? Or this one is different from this one. Mm-hmm. Right. This one is interested in all of the same stuff, you know, that I'm interested in. So that's easy. And maybe I'm spending more time with that one, you know, and not the, the other one. You know, what is, what's the first step maybe of connecting or, or reconnecting? And all of these stages are different too. You know, you mentioned 17 and 20, you know, for, for your boys yeah. again, like I'm 14 and 17. So I'm really interested, you know, at, at 17 and 20, of course, my 14-year-old's different from my 17-year-old, big time. I'm petrified of what my 17-year-old, you know, like what's going to happen between 17 and 20, you know, as you th- were thinking about college and those, you know, types of types of things. Am I engaged? Should I re-engage? You know, like my, like my brain just gets, gets scrambled around sometimes from moments of clarity to moments of complete confusion, you know? Yep, yep. Um, best advice I have for parents is just become interested in what your kids are interested in. And that means that's not just saying, so what are you into today? You need to become, you know, students of your children. And and this isn't to indulge them. Don't, don't hear me say that at all, please. Um, this is for you to, to hone in on what makes them tick the things that, that they get passionate and excited about. And it doesn't matter if you're passionate, and excited about it or not parent. You love your kid. You're all about your kid. So if your kid's like like my son who's into computers, I, I like I said, I don't know much about it, but you know what? I get excited about him getting excited about computers. And I'll sit down and watch him game, and I don't have a clue what's going on, and it makes me dizzy and like I'm going to vomit, but man, he's good at it. So I'm celebrating that. I'm not saying, well, this is, this is crazy. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going, man, that was amazing. How did you do that? And then, he, and then he, I go to play, and it's, it's a joke, you know, and he laughs at me, and I'm okay with that. Um, become interested in what your kids are interested in because you're interested in your kids and then allow them to take the lead from time to time as well, because they're better than us at a lot of things. And, and it's celebrate that. Earlier on, I asked a question. You said, whenever I get this question and I answer, "Mm -hmm." what are the questions you don't get? Mm -hmm. Did you sit some, did you sit back and go, Surprised nobody's asked me this question yet. You know, I keep, I, I put this out there. I talk about this. You know, I, I want to get this into the conversation, and for whatever reason, it it doesn't come up. You know, I promoted the book, or they asked me about growing the steak, but like, I want, I want this to get in there. You know? Yeah, that's oh man. That see, no one's ever asked me that question before. That's <laughs> the question people should be asking right there. What should we? That's that's a tough one because I don't want to be like the know-it-all by any means because because you know I'm still practicing this parenting thing myself. Every day is like an experiment, you know. And in, in the world of science, if if it's if you bring harm to somebody, you can't do it. You know, that's, that's you can't have that experiment. Yeah, as parents, sometimes we bring harm to our kids, and it's like this this ethical unethical experiment every single day on how do we become a better parent and how do they how do they become better uh, at discovering who they are. When it comes to like the questions, maybe the question that I ask myself would be the one I wish people would ask me because I don't necessarily have the answer, but it kind of, by asking the question, we pursue the answer. And that is what happens when I do it wrong? You know, cause, cause I've parented wrong 
you know, I've, I've done things as a parent that in the moment I thought was a good idea. And later on, I'm like, why in the world did I try that? That was stupid. And, and then, so re- figure out what works and repeat it as often as you possibly can and figure out what doesn't work and stop doing it. So I need to ask myself, and, and I think maybe this is a question that parents need to ask is what's not working? And, and am I, should I stop doing that? Because raising my voice obviously isn't working. I don't ever, I don't remember ever, ever hearing a parent say, and I raised my voice and my kids went, okay, father, yes, daddy, I'm so sorry. You know, it never happens. You know, it just escalates. All right, so maybe I need to, I definitely need to just, you know, not raise my voice more. If I was in a meeting with a client that I was trying to get, again, don't treat your kids like clients. Because if I was in a meeting with a client and I raised my voice like that, they wouldn't be my client anymore. Don't treat your kids like clients, but that doesn't mean we also get to do to them what we would not do to anybody else. Um, so what, what do I need to stop doing? And then, and then maybe what, what, wow, what worked so well? I got to do that all the time as often as I possibly can without, you know, exhausting everybody. But you know, what, when my son asked me to, to, um, to coach his track team, just be, be one of the volunteer coaches on the team. And, and I said, yes, something clicked. And, and it was a big chunk of time out of my day and it's hot out there and, and, and yeah, it's just, it's, but I saw something click in him. I'm like, I got to do this every year he's in high school. And what I found is, is that actually when he graduates, I'll probably continue to do it because I've seen other kids see the value in it. So, okay, that's something I need to repeat and do often as I possibly can is bring value to and celebrate their successes. Um, that's a good question, man. Hey, were, were there chapters and topics for manual to manhood that you knew needed to be in there, but again, you didn't have experience with yourself or, and also maybe what, what didn't make it in there? Hmm? What <laughs> might be in, in the manual to manhood part two, you know, not right. primary manhood, but secondary manhood or whatever, whatever you, you, you call it, you know, in there. Um, because again, there's so much information. I can just imagine sticky notes all over the place. And so that's, that's fun. Okay. So manual to manhood has a hundred life skills and character traits that I think every guy should learn. And it's not just guy, every, every kid should learn because girl's guide has the same stuff in it. Um, this is the manuscript. I'm holding in my hands a manuscript for my new book, um, Raising Them Ready. And in it are 200 things that by the time your kid is 21 years old, they should be able to do these. So really, there's 100 things in, in the manuscript I hold in my hand that aren't in the manual to manhood. Mm. And, and so it's, it's hard, you know, what, what actually makes it into the book manuscript. And, and yeah, maybe there should be a version two or something like that. But you know, there's things that we don't cover in manual to manhood that um, I think are certain everybody needs to know more about. You know, there's a small section there on financial financial management, and there there needs to be more. We need to teach kids how to be fiscally responsible. Um, well, I didn't write about contraception in the book because it was the demographic was about 12, and that's also a topic that that we wanted. No, it starts at about 12, and we wanted that topic to be with parents. But unfortunately, many parents don't talk to their to their sons about it, and it is it is as much a guy's responsibility as a girl's responsibility in the concept of contraception. Um, there's there's uh, we don't cover manual to manhood. Um, I talk about integrity. 
uh, and it's, it's, it's woven into much of the interviews of the men, the world-class experts that are, that are uh, cited in the book and I interviewed for the book. Um, I believe integrity is something that, that every parent should be, be helping their kids develop as a, as a core value of their life. Um, so, you know, the list could go on and on and on. You know, we did, we did how to tie a tie and how to, to shine your shoes, um, how to sew on a button, how to iron a shirt, but there's other grooming skills that everybody needs to know that didn't make it in the book. You can't do everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you have a particular favorite? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's. I, I was thinking about this yesterday that there's this theme that comes up in a lot of my writing for young people, and that's how to change a tire. And I'm trying to figure out why it keeps coming up. I really sat down and thought about it yesterday, and and because I've been in, and I've come to the conclusion that I've been in enough situations where somebody didn't know how to change a tire and it was going to ruin their whole day. Whereas, you know, 20 minutes later you're back on the road if if you did it slow, um, and and you know, we waste 20 minutes doing all kinds of stuff in, in a day. Um, but I think learning how to change a tire is one of my favorites because it's, it's not gender specific by any means. And it's, it, it, nothing will stop you in your tracks better than a flat tire, but nothing will get you going again, like changing it. So, uh, you know, one of, one of my NASCAR buddies said, um, you know, learn how to change a tire in your driveway before you have to learn on the side of the freeway. <laughs> Right. I think it's good advice for a, for a lot of things. It's great. Yeah. So that's one of my favorites, just changing the tire. And, you know, and, and practicing, I was in a course all, all weekend and they just stressed the, the, you know, the importance of practice, you know, again, learning my, in your driveway before it's on the side of, of the road, it's a very bad time <laughs> to try to learn something where there's a sense of urgency or it's immediate and, and you need it, you know, um, I learned how to apply a tourniquet. Okay. I don't know how to spell tourniquet. Okay? Didn't know exactly <laughs> what a tourniquet did. I totally, I mean, in theory, kind of knew, but learn how to apply a tourniquet, you know, this, this weekend. Um, okay. And the guy was making that point. He goes, not a good time to not know how to apply a tourniquet if somebody's on the side of the road bleeding, you know, right. you right. know, there too. So, so to your, to your point that it, um, you've done a lot of public speaking also out there and speaking and, and, and at the same time, you know, your books, you know, can be read at home, you know, in, in private. Do you have a, of a preference? Have you missed not being able maybe to speak in public as much or now doing it on screen or behind a microphone like, like we're doing? And do you see a benefit, you know, to, to both ways of interacting and learning, or maybe, you know, I feel like I connect better this way or material is absorbed better, you know, this way. Yeah. I, I have missed being on the road before live audiences, you know, with, with, uh, the, the lockdown and, and our restrictions and travel and then health concerns. And yeah, it's, it's been a bummer. Uh, the good news is, you know, we've created a mini television studio here and, and we are able to, to shoot, um, plenty of, of footage. And so, you know, some of my favorite groups to work with that I've been, I've been with for years, we've continued a great relationship, you know, Department of Education in New Jersey and, and Trenton Mercer County Technical Schools. And we're still making content for them rather than going there in person. I'm able to go there on video. Um, 
and you know, I've, I've done some speaking to men's groups live on Zoom and some pre-recorded content and you know a ton of radio shows. And so there's always the value. I, I get it, and we do what we got to do, especially during COVID. But I to stand before an audience and get that feel and get them laughing and get them thinking, having them turn to someone that they don't know and talk about something and someone they do know and 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 come to a decision or you know, to be able to craft a process where people walk away with a value that they didn't have when they walked, when they came in the room, I miss that a lot. And I'm looking forward to getting back on the road. Um, but I don't want to be gone a ton. I love being home with my family. So the, the whole, at the height of, of my traveling, I was doing about 125 speaking engagements a year, which meant I was gone over 200 days a year. And that's, that's ridiculous. I, I'm never doing that again. Mm. Um, you know, I, I missed too much of my kids and my bride to, uh, to find value in that. It's just, it's, you, you can't buy that back. So I wanted to ask you about that too. You've written, you've written with your wife you know, you've written on your own. You've written with your wife. You've written for, for young men you know, and you've also pivoted and written you know, for, for young women. And you said the content is, is similar in some cases exact, but the title is different, you know, in there. Um, how is it working with your wife? Oh, she's so much better than me. (laughs) (laughs) Such a good answer. (laughs) You know, I, we really enjoy each other and, and we've known each other since high school, you know, and now we've got, you know, kids that are leaving high school. So, you know, you can do the math. Um, but working together is, is enjoyable because we figured out what works for us and, and we aren't, we're not very good right across the table from each other. Um, cause we have different work processes, but when we get to, to our time where we're, you know, bouncing content off and she's reading something I wrote and she's putting in edits and adding her own voice and, um, and then she'll come back and say, you got to scratch this and approach it in a different direction. Here's what I recommend. Um, it's, it's a really fun working relationship. It sometimes it can be frustrating like anybody in the office. Um, but, but I think the, the neat part about us working together is uh, the end in mind, we're working together towards the same goal. And that is to bring value to others and to share what we have so that, that others can, can be better than us, you know, starting with our own kids and then anybody else that, that's either reading or listening or watching or, you know, it's, uh, we have too much is given, much is expected and, and we, want to, we want to share as much as we can. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned also uh, financial aspects of things, and that there should be you know we left some financial information out. Let's have this, and we need to put more financial information. And these things are how much does finance also play a role, both in in your household too, in terms of look, obviously you have to make a living and support a family, you know, doing doing what you're doing. But then you also said, look, I'm never going back to doing this many days, you know, on the road. How do you make financial decisions or think about it or saying, okay, if I want to, I need to write another book because I need to, I want to make more money this year than I made last year or another course, or we could change this title from male to female. And now we have two instead of one, or now I want the time because I want to coach track or I want to be able to say no to going back on the road a hundred days, but that might cost us something. Yeah, they have to have a balance there. I mean, we do, we are a business, you know, Catherman Inc, not incorporated, but Catherman I-N-K Inc is a, is a company. 
And so our books are our products and um, speaking at conferences and speaking at men's groups and speaking with youth is that's, that's a product. Um, uh, so we have to make f- sound financial decisions based on how our product is selling. And, and, you know, but we're also not very, we, we don't, we don't get excited about new toys very much. You know, it's, it's, I don't know why it's just not, not the way neither of us, neither Eric and I are geared that way. Um, doesn't mean that we don't enjoy, you know, cars and stuff, but I'm not out buying new cars every year and, and I don't have to have the latest and greatest of whatever it is I'm interested in. Um, so it's, our goal is to have less financial burden. The, I think freedom can come from when you're in a position where, um, you don't have to fight for the the dollar every day, and a lot of that comes from stewardship. You know, we we taught our boys young that yeah, you got to work hard, but you also got to work smart. So work harder, work smarter, and at, at a point, you know, you'll you'll start to earn, and in that earnings, you know, figure out how you work smarter, work harder, work smarter. But it's not always about just getting more. You know, we want them to our boys to have financial security so they can have freedom. And the more things I haul behind me, the less freedom I have. So, you know, that, I think that that's not something we always hear a lot about. We hear a lot about, man, I made, you know, seven figures in sales last year and bought this car and that car. And, and, and this is my, one of my houses, my other house. And I, you know, I, every time I see that online, I just like next, not interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, they say money can't buy happiness. And somebody jokes said, yeah, but it buys jet skis. You ever seen somebody unhappy on a jet ski? You know, so, <laughs> but, but, uh, again, um, I just don't get excited about new toys. I mentioned earlier, I've got a, a truck I want to buy, you know, I, I want to get like a early nineties Land Rover, well, Defender 110. Oh, yeah. But I don't want the $150,000 one. I want the, like the, the $30,000 one. You know, that if I scrape it upside a tree and a rock, I'm not worried about it. I have mm-hmm. a Land Rover now. You know, my sons and I got it out of the back of a of a yard and and fixed it up and and built a relationship over this rover. You know, but it's also, you know, we got it for two dimes and a nickel. And and it's not about having more stuff. It's about having better relationships. So money is about relationships too. I think there's that's a great point also about the the quality over over quantity you know and and the story you know behind things and and I've had a number of founders and craftsmen on the podcast over the last couple of years um you know and chefs and other authors and I, and I just think there's something to that quality aspect where you know the food tastes better when you know you know who's who's cooking it the watch that I was wearing uh, I wanted to get because I went out to see Cameron Weiss in his workshop, working on it, putting it together. You know, like like I don't know anybody at Rolex, okay? Yes, <laughs> but like there's something cool about you know seeing somebody that is devoting their life to a particular skill, you know, or a craft, yeah. or putting, and the stories that you can tell, you know, from those things. And and to your point, I also feel like, frankly. You pull up in that $150,000 Land Rover, or you pull up in that classically restored, you know, 90s Defender, you know, that's there. Um, the eyeballs are different. Again, the percent, like, 
like that's cool. Like that's deep. That's iconic. You know, that's versus, you know, there's, there's style and then there's style and substance or there's substance over style in there. Yeah. And, and I, I like that conversation and I like those things. Like I'd feel very uncomfortable in the $150,000 brand new Rover. I'd feel very authentic and comfortable in the nineties one, you know? Yeah. You know, I, there. And I think that there's a value. What you said, something like when you're seeing the chef prepare the meal or you're with the watchmaker creating this, this artwork really that, you know, this timepiece, that's that capability thing. So to wrench on a Rover, you know, when my sons and I work on the car together, um, that's, that's time, but we also commit quality. You know, I love, I, I love carpentry. And so, you know, we've remodeled our house, every house we've lived in, we've remodeled, you know, but I built furniture and, but it, it's, it's not to be expensive is to be quality, you know, and, and it's, uh, and I, I'm also, I'm Dutch and I believe in, in being frugal and, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, why, why buy when you can borrow and, uh, why, you know, why buy new when you can repair old, you know? And, and so, you know, I said, my dad and I built a, a relationship under a 65 Mustang. Yeah. I bought it when I was 14 years old for $1,400 of my own money. After I, sh- I shoveled manure for a summer, and was a bus boy at a, at a restaurant and saved up my cash and bought this car where transmission was in the trunk when we bought it, you know, but when we sold it, it was, it was best of show, but we, we didn't just send it out and have somebody else work on it. We wrenched it ourselves. When we pull up in, in our, our Rover now, and I say weeks, my son and I, he drives it most of the time. Um, uh, but when I'm driving, you know, people go, nice Rover. I'm like, yeah, man, it used to be a piece of junk, but we, we wrench on it ourselves. And, and the same thing for, you know, when we built our deck or did our backyard, you know, we're, we're doing these things ourselves. This goes back to that confidence and capable thing. I don't expect everybody to be able to wrench and to, to be a carpenter and to be a chef and, and to know how to work on fine timepieces. Not everybody has that. What's your specific strength? Do you commit to it? Um, but when we put value in the car or the Rover or the carpentry over the people that were involved, that's where I think we miss our mark. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as middle-aged men, we do that a lot. And I would gladly shed, I think, anything in my life that's a tangible thing for the relationship. I won't give up a relationship for the truck, for the house, for the whatever it is. Yep. Love it. Jonathan, thank you so much for giving me so much of, of your time, giving all of us so much of your time today. Um Love the books, love the insight, love the message. Where do people find you? Mm-hmm. Um, where do they get your material? And and how do we how do we spread share your message and get people coming to you? Because this is just amazing. I could I could keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like the internet's internet's an amazing, powerful tool. So just Google Jonathan Catherman. You can't can't miss it. Um, my website is thecathermans.com and the last name is spelled C-A-T-H-E-R-M-A-N. But the website is thecathermans, plural, because it's my wife and I and the boys.com. And then the books are all Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you want to buy books, you can find them. Fantastic. I want to, again, thank you so much. Uh, people ask me the process sometimes too. How do you get men on the show? How do you do this? Um, 
And this this was just as simple as I said, the book showed up at the house. I look at the book and go, this thing is unbelievable. Who wrote this book? How do I end up at the Cathermans.com, Instagram, everywhere, reached out um, and talk about stewardship, paying it forward, incredibly responsive, agreeing to come on. I just couldn't be more grateful for that. I think it sends a great message to everybody out there too. Go after what you want. People are generous. People are responsive. I do get told no a lot, you know, keep going to, you know, to the, to the next one. Um, but this has been, this has been great. Um, I'm continuing to read my way through this. I definitely want to pick up uh, guiding the next great generation and becoming the next great generation. And when is that manuscript um, becoming the, the new book? When is well, that? it's it's in edit now. My my editors are are uh, slicing and dicing as as we speak. Probably, um, the the title is "Raising Them Ready: uh, Practical Ways to Prepare Your Kids for Life on Their Own," and it is uh, broken into three parts called "Ready, Set, and Go," and it gives parents the some real practical tools and models. Um, that not make us perfect parents and not make our kids perfect kids, but literally to help them be prepared to thrive um, in life on their own, rather than just try to survive this thing called adulting. We'll have to do another show on that one. Absolutely. Would, would love to have you back to do that. So guys, now you know where to find him. Now you know where to follow him to get the books and materials that are out now and also be ready and waiting and online for the newest as soon as it comes out. Jonathan Catherman on the Midlife Mail podcast this week. Guys, thank you again. If you like what you hear, Please give us the five-star rating. Please leave a nice review Mm -hmm. and send me your messages. I want to hear from you if there's stuff you want me to talk about, questions you want me to ask, things you want us to write about. Always open uh, for that feedback and to try to continue to get better. Jonathan, thank you again. I really appreciate this. Hey, Greg, it was a good time. Iron sharpens iron, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir.